future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Season 2 of Future of Work with Jess Kelly and me, Gavin McLaughlin. Each week we're looking at how COVID-19 has pushed the Irish workforce to change how business is done. Today we're focusing on the home office and data protection. We'll discuss everything from having the right setup to keep you healthy to ensuring your setup is data compliant. Later in the show, we'll hear from Graham Doyle from the Data Protection Commission. He'll be telling us how home working and remote access to documents can be a bit of a minefield. And we'll hear from Dr. Lawrence Woods, the biomechanics specialist and chiropractor. He'll have tips for keeping healthy and avoiding the dreaded back pain in the home office. Uh, Gavin, I want to start with the back pain. I have become 102 since lockdown began. My back is in oh, agony. No. I don't know why we haven't heard more about the home office setup and the importance of it. Do you have a proper home office? No. Where do you work? The kitchen, beside the kettle and the food, which is good in one way, but (laughs) bad in another. But um, I think it's probably in the nature of our gig. I, I try to avoid spending time sitting down at a desk if I can, because kind of a lot of it is trying to come up with ideas for what sort of things you want to cover. Um, and so I often find, actually, if you just go out for a walk or, or you're just kind of pottering about doing what you need to do, it's times like that that ideas will kind of strike you. Obviously, there are times when you you know, you know need to be across what's going on and you need to be researching, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I try and minimise it uh, as, as much as I can. Um, so, you know, the kitchen, I find, uh, works well, although, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to stay away from the chocolate. What kind of setup do you have that you think is causing your problems? Well, the, so I went out, I'm like the exact opposite. I'm like in a little anxiety bunny that I need to have a proper setup and I need to spend certain amount of hours every day at my desk. So I have a, one of the, it's an Irish company, the Flying Elephant Desks. I have a lovely, you know, the ones that are wooden and you just slot together without any tools. It's kind of like a jigsaw yeah. puzzle. I have one of those. That sounds fun, yeah. I have a proper office chair that I bought and cost me more than a hundred and something quid and I'm still getting back pain. Then I have a little um, monitor stand to set my monitor on so that it's up at a decent level. I have my external keyboard so that I'm sitting a proper distance away from the monitor. I have an external You're mouse. such an organised person. I mean, no, you I really am a character of myself, opposite. really. But what I don't understand, so technically I've done everything right. And this is why I am beyond excited to talk to Dr. Lawrence Woods, because I feel like I've done everything right. And yet I'm still getting the back pain. You know that feeling in your shoulders when you were in sixth year in school carrying a really heavy school bag? Yeah, I you have, have that. that pretty much every bloody day and it's so frustrating I don't understand why now as I say that I am notoriously bad for just sitting at the desk for 10 hours a day I wear a Huawei um, fitness tracker and on days when I'm working from home like I would say I do about 73 steps I literally get (laughs) up to pee and go back to my desk and that's the height of it and do you find like does it help your productivity well, I mean, clearly you feel it does if that's the way you operate. But if you compare what you have now to what you had when we were in the office full time, how is your productivity holding up uh, versus what we had in here? It's still pretty high. Like I am a productive person and I do work on multiple aspects of the business. I do work on multiple projects. So I'm constant. I constantly have something on the go. Um, and p- 
part of me really likes being at the desk because I like very often I just open a Word doc and I will brain dump ideas. Like I'm quite good at motivating myself to get stuff done. What I do find with working from home though is like if I get up for lunch, I'll just sit back down in front of the computer and eat at the desk or some days I won't even have lunch. I'll just sit at the desk. You sit at, you sit at the desk and have your lunch in my at your home. desk in your home office. Yeah. Like I'm all kinds of sad. I know I am. You don't even watch a bit of telly or on your lunch break? or No. Do you know what I have started doing actually? Because I bought an iPad. I started doing the New York Times crossword on my iPad on my lunch break but still <laughs> sitting at my desk. So I'm I'm still on brand with my nerdy You really are swat. a caricature of yourself. You've even <laughs> even crosswords have been taken online with, with News Talks tech correspondent. Yeah. Um, I agree with you that um, it's an issue maybe that hasn't been, been covered quite as, quite, uh, as much maybe as it should have been. And... The other thing to bear in mind as well is whatever about sort of your immediate setup of your desk or, you know, the, the various bits and bobs that you have around you when you're working, is your home actually suitable for it? Because I think there's a lot of people are, are kind of in fairly cramped uh, accommodation and, you know, they may be sharing with other people and, um, you know, it's kind of difficult maybe to have the, the space that you'd like. And, and, and that is one whole area of this remote working idea that I think maybe people haven't considered. A lot of people are, are just in accommodation where it's just not really suitable for it. Well, like I live in a one bedroom apartment and my apartment is lovely and I really like it and I'm very lucky that um that we have it. But I live with my boyfriend who's working full time. His company have actually got rid of their office space. So they are going fully remote. Um, so he's been working from home consistently since March. I've been between the office because we're essential workers and home. And on the days that we're both there, like I have, you should hear. So I'm like, do you have to type so loud? Why are you oh chewing God, so loud? Yeah. And we both wear now uh, noise cancelling headphones. We both knock on doors before we kind of walk into rooms in case we're interrupting calls. We have a post-it note system. So if I'm on a video call, I'll put a post-it on the door so he'll know that I'm on a thing. So not to yeah. come in in his boxers looking for the remote control for his Xbox or whatever. So we, we kind of have worked out a system. But what I found, and this is kind of the serious side of it is, it's so claustrophobic. Because on days, if you're having a bad day or if you're just exhausted... There's nowhere to escape because it's a one bed apartment. So Harry's working in the bedroom. I'm working in the living area. Where can we, like, where do you go to to shut down? Because if I go in for a sleep, his work stuff is there. If he comes into the living room to chill out, my work stuff is there. It's it's yeah. very tough do you going. Feel, do you feel you have that prox- proximity where you've, even outside your working hours, the computer is over there. It's in the same room. It's looking at you. Yeah, like I, I don't feel like I have working hours. I feel like I just have work and sleep which is not good no that's and I think I'm not the only one I think a lot of people who are working from home kind of feel like that um, and I absolutely am not good at pushing myself to get up and get out and go for a waddle around the place and all the rest I think it's very tough um, and I do think it's something that is going to have a knock-on effect whether that is you know mentally physically like there are so many different knock-ons from yeah. this, and there is a question for for companies as well around their duty of care and and do they have, you know, a responsibility to make sure that what their employees have at home is kind of a good setup and and look out for their well-being and all the rest of it. So um, it is going to present some hurdles down the road, I think. But there's another problem as well, 
which is the whole area of cyber security and data mm-hmm. protection, which is the other kind of big topic that we're going to be covering uh, today. And Jess, I wanted to ask you, I mean, obviously your your ear is close to the ground in the whole tech world and, and cyber security and all the rest of it. What are you kind of hearing from people you talk to about the impact of the pandemic on, on this whole issue? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. We've heard from a consumer side that there have been a lot of uh, scamming attempts, phishing attempts, hacking attempts going on, which is hugely problematic and a big headache. From a business point of view, it's interesting that the the encryption that many of us, uh, particularly if you work with personal data, w- um, were accustomed to when we worked in offices, has translated really, really well to the home office. Um, so a lot of companies will have remote access to servers, which their employees have. Their devices are still encrypted. The databases are still encrypted. So they are working quite well. However, there have been some just eye-rollingly, frustratingly stupid breaches that have happened. Um, And they're not even breaches, it's just bad cop-on. So we've all heard about the Zoom bombing, so people breaking into other people's Zoom meetings because people aren't setting up password protection on on their different um, video call services. I also heard a story which I just can't even... So there was a person making a presentation, a video presentation to a crowd of about 100 people watching online. And the person had their passwords for different accounts on a magnet on their fridge in full view for the 25 minute presentation. And you just think like there's some people you just can't help. (laughs) Like I just give up. (laughs) Well, there certainly is a sense. Well, not a sense. I mean, it's a fact that, that people are a bit more detached from their colleagues than they otherwise would be. And I was talking to Bank of Ireland about this whole issue the other week and kind of one of the most simple uh, scams that goes on is somebody, a scammer, will get in touch, you know, with you, Jess, say you work for some company and they'd say, hi, I represent uh, such and such. Our bank details have changed. So can you, you know, update your records to show that uh, actually from now on you should be sending your payments to us to this bank account rather than the previous bank account? And obviously that's the kind of thing that you need to be a little bit careful about. But what Bank of Ireland were saying was if people are out of the office, there's just that little bit extra risk because instead of kind of shouting to your colleague across the hall, you know, you're kind of maybe having to pick up the phone and, and check and check and check and check. And, you know, it's just maybe not quite as simple uh, as it would be. And that, that can pose a risk for people. Yeah, the other thing that I've come across, because I would do in my role as technology correspondent, I'd be on a lot of briefing calls. Um, and very often we have to sign non-disclosure agreements. So I think we're in, what, March or April 2021. So far this year, I've signed about 30 non-disclosure agreements, which means that I'm going to attend a briefing, a virtual briefing about a product, and I'm not allowed to tell anyone about it until um, the, the launch day, the official launch day. And sometimes it could be a two or three week lead up. So it's a long wait. But at the start of all these briefings now, there's like a two minute explainer of... If you live with somebody or are near somebody else, please put headphones in. Don't react to what you're seeing. Please make sure nobody can see your screen. Please don't take photographs of the screen. And they have these like watermarks over videos so that any of the journalists on it can't take pictures of a new phone, for example, and then tweet it out because there'll be a stamp on it saying Irish journalist 3.30 on a Friday afternoon or whatever it is. And I find that really interesting just to have that level of 
it's not paranoia because obviously it's it's important but having to break it down to that level of don't let anybody in your vicinity hear any element of this you're placing a lot of trust on people like yeah there's, absolutely, there's a yeah. huge like if I was Samsung or Huawei or Oppo or any of the brands that I, I um have attended events for over the last little while you are really having to put a lot of trust in people that like Harry my boyfriend is a huge tech fan he'd love to know what's going on but again, you have to banish him from the kitchen. I have to have my headphones on. I have to not talk about it. All it takes is one person. If you're on a confidential briefing or say, for example, and this is what I'm kind of my little paranoid brain wonders is that say if I'm applying for a mortgage and you work for the bank and either I'm on a call with you or you have my mortgage application on your kitchen table and maybe your son goes in and doodles on some of the pages or maybe your partner goes in and goes, oh, Jesus, is that your woman from Neustadt? No way. And that's what I'm afraid of is just other people gaining access to information, not out of malice, not through a hacking, but just pure humanity and human error. Yeah. And I mean, I'm interested to hear you say you kind of were a stickler for obeying the rules and knowing you, I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> but like a lot of people, they're just not going to be bothered. They'll take the view well, you know, they're not going to find out. So I'm not, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to be too worried about it. And I'm glad we're covering the whole area of data protection today because, you know, cybersecurity is is kind of what tends to be the, the dominant topic, I suppose, because people are concerned about financial consequences and mm. yeah, money being stolen, et cetera, et cetera, for obvious reasons. Um, but there is a whole set of obligations that people have now under the new rules, the, the GDPR. And uh, just to give you another example, one that strikes me as a potential problem is say you're a call centre operator and maybe you're working for a health insurance company mm-hmm. and say you've got your your kit set up in the front room and you know, you're know you you're talking to somebody and they're kind of outlining maybe very sensitive details of their health to you. Joe or Jane Soap walking by the front window could be a risk that uh, you know they hear what's going on and maybe they know the person you're talking to. So like there is a whole suite of obligations that people have to, to protect you know, not just against the, the the potential financial consequences, but actually to protect what they call people's personal data. And it's really, really important uh, that, that companies do that in a proper way. So we'll be speaking shortly uh, to Graeme Doyle from the Data Protection Commission about some of these issues. I'm really looking forward to having the chat. Yeah, like I know I bang on about data protection and GDPR all the time, but it is so important. And I think, unfortunately, many people won't really care about it until their data is impacted. Um, we saw recently that Fastway couriers uh, were the target of a hack and so many people were impacted by that. And I was almost surprised by how little uproar there was about it. You know, the average consumer wasn't overly concerned because it didn't impact their financial data. It was more personal information about their address, phone number and name. But all this stuff really does matter. Um, and as you said, Graham Doyle is going to talk us through some do's and don'ts when it comes to managing personal data. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you. You can email the show fow at newstalk.com. Future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Welcome back to Future of Work with Jess Kelly and me, Gavin McLaughlin. And we're joined now by Graham Doyle, Deputy Commissioner and Head of Corporate Affairs, Media and Communications with the Irish Data Protection Commission. 
And Graham, I think it's fair to say that with increased remote working, there's much more potential for things to go wrong uh, with cybersecurity and with data protection. Have you noticed an uptick in, in data breaches being notified to your office? Hi, Gavin. Yes, uh, absolutely. We have. We've uh, we just published our annual report for 2020 there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we've seen an increase in the number of data breaches by almost 10%. And we received over six and a half thousand uh, breaches in 2020. Um, and we've done a lot of work in this area. Uh, we've put a lot of guidance and blogs, etc., up on our website, but an awful lot of media. And we do an awful lot of work with the organisations directly themselves. Um, we've seen uh, on from the from the COVID specific stuff. And again, you'd be you'd be more than familiar with quite a lot of the issues that have arisen in, in terms of uh, in terms of COVID and our work in with the various government departments when it came to the likes of the contact tracing app and um, when it came to stuff around the, the, the PUP payments or the PUP checks, um, there was temperature checking with, with employers and employees, etc. Um, but really what we have seen when it comes to the data breaches, what we've seen is kind of a continuation of the types of uh, issues, which is really the main type of data breach we receive is what's known as an unauthorised disclosure. And it quite often comes down to human error, Gavin. So um, what kind of errors are we talking about that uh, are leading to these problems? Yeah, well, one of the ones that really jumps out all the time is in relation to the likes of emails where people are sending the wrong email or an email to the wrong recipient, uh, for example. And I do think like this is something that we talk about regularly to individuals and you know, when we're, when we're doing any media, we're, we very often we kind of push this uh, idea of being very vigilant and being careful. But I think it's even more important in the context of uh, of working from home because, you know, people have different uh, pressures and strains when they're working from home, whether it's your homeschooling, whether it's the kids running around, whether it's in my circumstances where I have a dog that wants to bark at the world and it's mother through the front window. <laughs> and, and quite often you can get distracted very easily. Um, so, again, be very careful that when you are sending an email that you're sending it to the right recipient. Um, but then other issues in terms of like, uh, and again, we, we, we get complaints in this area as well as breaches. Um, like what we say is there's a couple of things on the email front, you know, follow whatever policies your organization have around the use of email. So, for example, use work email accounts where you can rather than using your own personal one for work-related emails. Um, if you have to use your personal email, make sure that, you know, the contents and the attachments that you're sending are encrypted um, and avoid using personal or kind of confidential information in the subject line and actually just on the on the uh and again this is something that we've seen in terms of encrypted emails if you are sending something with a with some sensitive information um and you have it encrypted good practice don't send the password to the encryption with the same email so follow on separately send a separate email with the with the password or a text message and and again as i say the whole thing around just being careful and and just being mindful of the fact that when you are sending it, then you're sending it to the right to the right individual. Okay, probably no harm just to explain at this stage what we're talking about when we're talking about a data breach. So this is where someone's personal data, like their email address, maybe or their health information, it gets released by the person in charge of it by accident or because of fraud uh, or, or something. And and if there's a risk that this breach itself poses a risk to the person whose data has been breached, you guys need to be told about it. Is that it? Yeah. To, if there's, you've pretty much got it there. Yeah. If, if there's a, and it's not only unauthorized disclosure, like that there's also loss. And again, we've seen, we've seen quite a bit of this. Um, 
and I suppose increasing during the, the pandemic in the sense of the loss of, say, paper records. So when we talk about data protection, it's important to, to remember that it doesn't only apply to electronic, the electronic storage of, of um, data. It also applies to, to kind of manual form of paper records where it's kind of where it's intended to be part of a filing system. So if I'm bringing information home um, from the office, uh, you know, I have to be very, very careful how I store that. And we have seen examples of where um, paper records have been mislaid, uh, they've been lost. There have been examples, and we, we, we've actually had uh, last year, we, we found, there were fines imposed whereby um, confidential medical records belonging to individuals were found. I think there was one found beside a recycling bin. There was another one found in somebody's front garden. Um, so it's, it's all of these kind of things. So when you become aware, um, when you become aware, and I suppose this is, again, important for the individual who's working from home, when you yourself become aware that there could be an issue, and whether it be whether it be paper records, whether it be the fact that you realise you sent the email to the wrong individuals, um, whether it be you've got it, you've got your device, uh, you know your, and, and again, this is an important area in terms of the security of the devices because we're all using kind of we're all using our, our, either our work or personal laptops or USBs or memory sticks, whatever it might be, um, so you need to make sure that you have them, you have them secure. Um, and if you do, if you do feel that there's, or, or you do realise that it's gone missing, or you, you need to kind of straight away, uh, you need to contact the organisation. You need to make sure that they're aware of this. And then what happens is, is an assessment is carried out, and yeah. they assess based on what that breach is. They assess, well, has there been any? Is there any potential harm to an individual? And where there is, where they do identify that there's harm to an individual, um, they must notify us um, as the as the regulator of the breach. Um, and if they, they make a second assessment then as well as if there's serious, is there potentially serious harm to an individual? And if there is, they should then be notifying the individuals who've been affected um, of, of the fact that the breach has taken place. And they've 72 hours. So, so, and again, another important thing is that when you become aware of a breach, so when somebody brings it to your attention that there's been a, potentially been a breach, um, you've 72 hours from, from becoming aware of it to notify us of that. You don't have to have, and we wouldn't expect you to have absolutely all of the details of what's happened and the potential impacts within the 72 hours. What we would expect, though, is that you've done as much work as you can to get that information and you provide as much information as you have okay. um, when you're making a notification. One of the potential problems that uh, Jess and I were talking about before you came on, Graham, was this whole issue of, of people who are maybe dealing with phone calls. So, for example, you might have... Um, somebody who's a call centre operative and they may be working, you know, in health insurance or, or something and they're taking calls from people, you know, that are to do with, with very sensitive uh, issues. And, um, you know, I suppose there'd be fears maybe that if you're working in shared accommodation, uh, maybe some of these conversations could be overheard. So have you got any tips for people who are in that situation? What should you try and do to minimise problems um, yeah. you know, when you're dealing with phone calls? Really good question, Gavin, and something that comes up quite a lot. Uh, and again, it's got to be a very practical answer. Um, you know, in the circumstances that we're all in, where we're where we're working remotely, and in particular, in the, as you say, where you're sharing accommodation, you know, the, the best you can do is try and do it in such a way. Maybe ensure that you have a, set, a, a headset so as nobody else can hear within the house can hear the incoming call. Um, make sure you're in a get yourself into a room if at all possible. Get yourself into a room where you're the only one in the room. Um, be very careful around any information you might write down on a piece of paper. Um, you know, make sure that any information that you're 
particular, obviously, we're talking in the context of information, personal information, and and there could be there could be health, there could be insurance, people taking insurance calls, and you know, putting down an awful lot of sensitive information. So be very very careful what you do with the information, and make sure that when you are getting rid of anything that you no longer need, that you you shred it in some way, and whether that's you have your own personal shredder uh, that you've got, or or you find a way of of getting stuff shredded, um, and and then. The security of any information as well that you have, making sure that you've got a, whether it's a, a cabinet that you can lock um, and you can put the stuff in. And again, I, I know you mentioned, Gavin, it's particularly important, I think, where people are sharing accommodation. Obviously, all of these things apply in any circumstance, but when you're when you're in shared accommodation, it's really important that you try and do it. In, in And I, it's not easy for people. Um, you know, there may be people there, there may be people out there who are, don't have the luxury of being in accommodation where it's very, very easy for them to find themselves in a really, really quiet room. But I think the important thing is you just have to make yeah. sure that you do your absolute best. I think a lot of people would, would probably be kind of surprised listening to this because it, it does sound kind of extreme. You know, I, I think a lot of people will probably think, oh, well, sure, you know, if somebody's email address gets released or if my roommate overhears something, sure, what harm is it? It's not that important. But... The reality is, Graham. I mean, there are, we do have these new laws around this whole area. The GDPR. It does need to be taken seriously by people. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, kind of the starting point that I always say, if people are kind of thinking along those lines, I, I always bring it back to me. Um, and uh, not that it's all about me, Gavin, but I bring it back to me, and I think to myself, well, how would I feel? How would I feel if my personal information was being heard by everybody else? You know, a lot of these going back to the kind of the call center um, scenario. A lot of these conversations that people are having are very, are very sensitive, very personal conversations. And you know, if I was contacting, if I wanted to to give out personal information to a call centre operative, I would want to know that the information I'm given to them is going to be just kept by them. That there's not that potential that it's out there um, for 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 lots of other people. You know, there are issues around um, ID. Uh, test and you know so a lot of this information can be used if it gets into the wrong hands uh, it can be used um, in in a really really negative way so it is really really important um, when you say an ID test what what do you mean there well I'm just saying you know the more information that uh, you know there there are people out there who make a living out of trying to um, do fraudulent activity and the more personal information that they have about an individual um, the better for them Um, so what I'm saying is we just have to be uber careful with what we do with, with our with our information. Um, you know, I, I spoke to I spoke to I know I was speaking to Jess before doing one of uh, one of these uh, events, and I remember speaking about um, circumstances whereby we'd seen I, I'd had it brought to my attention of there was a couple of individuals who had been doing conference calls completely oblivious. Uh, they were on a conference call. They were doing it doing it from their their kitchen table. Um, and in the background, they had a load of passwords up on their uh, fridge, with it hung up on the fridge magnets. You know, all of these things. There, there are people out there who can access, get access to our our um, information in these ways. So again, it's just being very, very vigilant and just being aware, and not trying to frighten people, but just to be aware of the importance of of keeping your your information secure. Can I ask a bit of a nitpicking question, Graham? You know the way you I do. We we mentioned there about people working in call centres and a lot of people who work for big companies will be using uh, phone software on a computer so it comes up as if they're calling from a landline and they're doing it all through the computer. 
what's the or is there a problem if for example i'm working in, in a call center and i make calls to you as your bank from my mobile is that a problem my personal mobile um it, it, I suppose it depends on the policy of the organisation. Like it really, it, what you should be trying to do is try and replicate as best you can what the normal uh, landscape looks like. So for organisations, you know, you 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 try and you try and do that. That said, Jess, you know, there was a period of time, um, even with the DPC, when we initially started um, on the remote working because it all it was all thrown at us very quickly. There was a, a period of time where we wanted to make ourselves accessible to the public and have our help desk operational, and we were. We put, I put, had my own personal mobile um, or work-related mobile number up on our website, and I would, we would take calls in that way until we got ourselves into a position to get our, our kind of our, uh, our normal, um, our normal, I suppose, set of uh, numbers and contact details up. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, there are circumstances whereby the there are organisations that have no option, but to do that now in terms of whether it should be your personal mobile again i'd kind of question whether you should try and be used where it's going to be a mobile as opposed to the the computer um way of contacting people where it's going to be mobile really if you could get a the work mobile mm. uh, a work mobile i'd say would be a better practice and um, but there are there are obviously um going to be people out there and, and organizations there in particular the smaller organizations you know talking about the big you're talking about some of the big platforms or some of the big companies out there that have call centers. Um, it may not be as big a burden on them as it would be for some of the smaller organizations to to put things like this in place. Yeah, and, and the other thing I was wondering is, are you worried or should we be worried that breaches and I suppose bad protocols might be going on but they're harder to track because people are working remotely you know when you're in the office you can put firewalls in place you can put alerts in place on devices to identify if something goes awry is there a fear factor that we may be missing things because people are working remotely um again I go back to the statistics um and I know you can read whatever you like in statistics, Jess, but as I said to Gavin earlier on, you know, we had a 10%, just under 10% increase in breach notifications that were notified to us last year, which is an indication that people are taking it seriously. In fact, you could, in some circumstances, you could argue the opposite, that people are even more aware now because they're working from home. Um, and they ha- Sorry, they, they were more aware in the first number of months when they were working from home of the absolute importance. I do... I would have the concern, I suppose, a little bit. Uh, the more we get into this kind of fatigue of the remote working, that um, there is the potential for breaches to to occur even more frequently, and, and a lot of it down to the human error um, type stuff. So I think it's really, really important for organisations that they continue um, to kind of do awareness raising things with their with their uh, with their staff, in particular around areas such as like phishing and and hacking. Um, you know, we we saw we we've seen a huge increase in the use of social engineering and, and phishing attacks to kind of gain access to to systems of uh, of companies. So, I think while many many organisations initially put in kind of effective security measures, it's it's kind of becoming become a bit evident to ourselves that they're not taking the proactive steps steps to monitor and review the measures now, um, or to train staff appropriately to ensure that they're kind of aware of the threats that, that, that are that are posed by, by hacking and phishing, etc. So we kind of recommend to say that they undertake kind of these kind of periodic reviews of their security measures 
um, and that they also make sure that they have comprehensive training and awareness raising um, plans in place for, for their staff. Okay, well, uh, that's certainly something for listeners to bear in mind. Uh, thanks very much for that, Graham, and indeed uh, for all the tips you've given us there. That's Graham Doyle, Deputy Commissioner and Head of Corporate Affairs, Media and Communications with the Irish Data Protection Commission. Coming up next, we'll hear from Dr. Lawrence Woods about the perfect way to set up your home office. Future of work with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Looking at the health and well-being of your employees in an ever-changing workplace with the VHI Health Insights Programme. This is News Talk. Welcome back to Future of Work with Jess Kelly and me, Gavin McLaughlin. Every week we're tackling different issues relating to the future of work here in Ireland. Next week's show will focus on company culture, looking at how companies are keeping the office culture alive while everyone is working from home. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any questions or comments, you can email FOW at Newstalk.com. But now let's get back to our chat on keeping healthy in the home office. And I'm delighted to say we're joined by Dr. Lawrence Woods, the biomechanics specialist and chiropractor. Uh, Lawrence, you're very welcome to the show. Let's start at a very basic level, um, if you don't mind. Can you explain why posture matters? Because it does go a bit beyond just a, a bit of back pain, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. First of all, I'd like to thank you both, uh, Jeff and Gavin, for uh, having me on your show and discussing this really important topic. It, yeah, it does matter and it, because it looks like we're working from home right now and it looks like working from home is the future. So we have to get this right. So many people are out there waking up stiff and sore and tired and chronic back pain and pain between the shoulders going down the neck and the arms. But saying that, the good news is that most of us can have the capacity to get ourselves out of chronic pain and we can obtain a more vibrant and youthful body, more than you ever imagined. So I can, I can go through lots of tips, lots of great advice here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, before we jump into that, what I, cause we were saying at the top of the show, I'm I'm excited to talk to you because I thought I did everything right in terms of <laughs> I went and bought a proper desk, I went and bought a proper chair, I have an external keyboard so that it's at a right um, you know position for me, I'm not stretching to reach it, and yet I'm still getting these back pains. So is there a correct way to yeah. set up your desk and to sit at the desk as well? That's such a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. I, and, and listen, listen we've all done this. It's always tempting to look at new equipment to, to fix our cures or, you know, like furniture or going to see a chiropractor or whatever. But, but rushing out to get new equipment, you might be overlooking the most simplistic thing out there. Okay. So, and, and buying new equipment, as you, as you just said, doesn't even solve the problem a lot of times. So, so here's what I recommend. Start out making changes yourself without any cost first. And, and honestly, Jess, you have to do this anyway, okay? So when you're looking for office equipment, you always want to be careful of these one-size-fits-all type of things. You, for example, we, like in my room here right now, I could have 100 people, uh, 5 foot 10, and I could have 100 different body types. Some could be uh, longer torsos or male-female differences, what have you. Uh, so you want to get something that, 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 has, that fits your needs and, and according to your budget. Uh, it has to be good for you. So you want to do your research here, okay? Mm-hmm. But in terms then of the physicality of setting it up, because um, I am that type of person that I don't do anything without researching. And by researching, I mean, I read papers, I watch YouTube channels, I do all of the things <laughs> that little SWATs do. And okay. in, some of the points that I got, for example, was to make sure that my feet are flat on the ground and that my knees are at a decent position and that my elbows are like resting on the desk. Like, I swear, I was about two seconds away from getting a measuring tape to ensure that I was doing everything properly, and yet I'm still getting the pain. So talk us through 
what okay. are the key, like, like okay. what's the ideal setup, I suppose? Okay, we can go at a PhD level or we're going to go, I, wouldn't, I want to keep it real simple. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's start. The core of the problem, Jess, is, is typically the core. And the core muscles is, is, is such a nebulous term out there. And so many well-meaning people think the core is your six-pack. And it's not. For, for, the, for the, the purpose of our discussion today, Jess, is that the core is every muscle that connects to your hip above and below the waist. So we're talking between your shoulders and your knees. We're 29 different muscle groups here. So the best advice is to give you these, some simple solutions that seamlessly integrate without much thought. Uh, let's just focus on the basics. Let's focus on what you do most of your day. And if you get this right, you're good. It's your sitting, your standing, your sleeping, and your moving. That's like 90, 100% of your day. Get this right, you're good. So should we talk about these basics? Yes, please. Okay. Fantastic. Okay, let's start with sitting because everybody, so many people out there suffering, and God love them. They're they're working off their kitchen table or their couch, and uh, sitting. I want to give you three simple tips and things you need to do. Okay, first of all, I'm going to unpack this question. I want you to imagine your head the same weight as a bowling ball, roughly five kilos. And studies tell us that for every inch that your head is forward from your spine, you're putting about ten pounds of pressure in the y-axis. Okay, that's straight up and down which also leads to breakdown of the joints, particularly your spine, causing arthritis. So here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that your head is always directly over your shoulders so gravity has no effect on your spine. And, this is, and how you do this is make sure that your hips are always higher than your knees. Okay? I'll say that again. Your hips have to always be higher than your knees. And so how do you do that? You can sit on a wedge. You want to sit on a wedge with the, back, the thicker part towards the back. That's one way. A lot of these high-tech ergonomic chairs have a forward tilt. And, and for you techies out there, it's roughly 110 degrees between your trunk and thigh, uh, or, or in layman's term, your hips are about three or four inches higher than your knees. So, so, or you could try this. Try this right now uh, yourself, Jess. She's already uh, been I'm trying a, been them doing as, it. as we're listening to you, Lauren. <laughs> I'm a good girl. I follow rules. If somebody tells me to sit up, okay. I just sit to attention. So yes, well, I am listen, sitting listen, up. Listen. I'm, I'm going to give you advice that nobody else has given. Okay, okay, try this. Move to the edge of your seat and make sure that your knees are well below your hips. Simple, right? Okay, yeah. And so, Okay, so, so what, by sitting with your knees below your hips, you are now engaging and dispersing your weight into your core muscles instead of your spine. Okay, this is what you got to get. In other words, you are trading a tree trunk for a toothpick when you, when you sit the other way. So now when you sit like that, you're actually, actually, how cool is that? You're actually pulling up on the pelvic floor muscles and you're engaging your foundational muscles. So you're actually exercising while you're sitting. Oh, I'm all about that. that yeah, sounds good. It, and it works really, really well. I actually do okay. feel better straight away because I was kind of slouched over like a teenage boy here before we started this call. So already it's working. Okay, what's next? I, I could feel you through the water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so the next thing is this information I'm about to impart is essential. Okay. And I'm going to move to standing. And there's a big trend on standing desks. And we could talk about standing desks if mm-hmm. you want. But standing, two things, and you want to get this right. This is so important. Okay. Uh, through, through repetition of this, you're going to become a master. And I promise you, I guarantee you, if you practice what I'm about to tell you over the next four weeks, most of your problems are going to fall by the wayside. So when you stand, you want to make sure your knees are slightly bent, just enough to feel your legs engaging. Okay. Again, what the goal here is to disperse your load back into your muscles and not your spine. Because if your knees are locked, so are your joints and so is your backbone. And you're, what you're doing is you're compressing those joints and not the muscles. Okay, so say Does that, that again because sense? yeah, because because okay. I do try to stand every now and then um, when uh-huh. I'm working from home, but very often I stand and I'll lean on the outer part of my foot or I'll kind of stand on one leg or with my legs crossed. Sure. That's probably not ideal, is it? Sure. Well, this corrects all of that because if you stand with your knees unlocked, slightly bent, it's impossible to do that. 
because now you're balancing your weight. You'll actually feel it's, it's, it's simple. It's not easy. Like if, I, if I'm in Westport and I want to climb Crow Patrick, there's the path straight to the top, real simple, but it's not easy. And so you got to, this is something you really, you have to actively and consciously think about every minute of the day for about four weeks. And then you got it. You have muscle memory there and you'll never have to think about it again. In terms right? of the standing desks, are, are they better? Because um, Carl Henry, the, the trainer, he's a big advocate of standing desks and he says yeah. that it's good in terms of allowing your, like to fill your lungs and to breathe properly as well as stretch and it's easier to kind of do some twists and move around as well as getting work done. Sure, sure. Carl's a great guy too. Great, He gives great advice. Okay, a few things about standing, standing desks. Uh, the good aspect of standing desk is that most people comment that they see a spike in productivity. And that makes sense, right? That makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. you're standing, you're moving, right? However, saying that, chairs are not going to go away. Yeah. And you cannot replace sitting with standing. This is, these are trends, and things in, in ergonomics are fashionable. And this is the fashion right now. And here's the, here's the other point I want to make. You can become sedentary standing as well, just like sitting. Because so, we're seeing a lot of people with neck and shoulder problems because they're leaning forward to look at the screen and they don't have armrests. And so, so I'm, 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 I'm in favor of standing desks. But if you're not sure here, these things are expensive. And if you want to uh, put your toe in the water, so to speak, start with a makeshift. You know, be creative. Uh, a year ago when this, it was, when this uh, lockdown started, I was telling people to use an ironing board. Start with that mm-hmm. and get used to that and see if you're going to use it. But here's my advice in terms of standing desks. The best case scenario is a combination of standing, sitting, and most importantly, moving. And movement is the key. I want you to think about like equipment, you, like, like the treadmill you bought for Christmas last year is now a coat rack. You know, a lot of people want to, you know, I've put never money bought in. a treadmill or been on a treadmill just for clarity's <laughs> sake, but go on. Well, you, you know, you just, you, you want to see if you're going to use it. And if you do use it, use it well, use it right. Okay. But, but that is, there's no silver bullet here. The, the key thing here is that you have to, you have to keep moving. Uh, one of my favorite uh, studies was done by a NASA scientist and over three decades of work, her conclusion was that you just need to move every 10 or 15, 20 minutes. This, the mere action of just standing up and sitting back down again reboots your body and you don't get into these complacent postures where your body starts breaking down. I'm a sloucher, Lawrence, I have to admit it, uh, so much so that colleagues uh, in the office in the days when we were in the office full time would walk past and, and pass comment on how slouched over I was in the uh, in the desk. Um, I think you, you alluded to movement there. Do you think people need to make a point of actually just getting up and going for a walk for a little while? Because that's kind of what I tend to try and do. And uh, despite sure. my slouchiness, I haven't had any problems yet anyway. Sure. I, I recommend, I, you know, like, like again, according to the studies, every 15 minutes. And so you got you got to really trick yourself. Like we give people timers. Uh, you, you take uh, if you're doing if you're doing Zoom meetings, make sure they're standing. Uh, incorporate exercising into your day. Drink lots of water so you have to pee a lot. <laughs> Do anything you can. Put the printer away from your workstation. Everything you can because because when we're working from home. We we do we just become very complacent and we don't move as much according to the research. I suppose the positive aspect of all this is it's kind of shining a light on it a bit more and maybe when things uh, return to normality, if you like, and there's more and more people coming back into the office, maybe there'll be more awareness of it uh, amongst companies, whereas heretofore perhaps there wasn't as much as we'd like. Yeah, well, the thing is, this isn't anything new. Uh, this has been this is this, this problem of this breakdown has been going on for 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 decades now, and I even published a book a couple of years ago on the subject. But however, I might say that I have seen an increase in the past year, uh, almost exponential, and people are suffering because of prolonged sitting, poor posture, lack of movement, and distress. 
But but if, if, if we can use this, if we flip this around, the good news is that this all can be turned around. And if we can use this time to develop really good habits, it's, it's like that, they, they, you know, they uh, wax on, wax off that, that movie <laughs> with Pat Morita, right? Through repetition, you become a black belt. Use this opportunity to focus on your sitting, standing, sleeping, and moving and get those right. And, and I promise you, you'll be good. Before we go to some sort of, you know, whether it is exercises you can do at your desk or little tips, what about yoga balls? There was a phase here in News Talk a few years ago where three or four of the women in the office went to Argos and they bought uh, yoga balls to sit on mm-hmm. instead of chairs. Is that really good for you? Yeah, I, I have a YouTube channel in a, where I discuss all these points. And, and uh, I, I was, I was, boy, about a decade ago, I was really in favor of, of, of these ergonomic balls until I started using one myself. And I guess I'm heightened aware <laughs> of my body, and I, I started feeling the pain in the neck and shoulders. And I found the problem with that is it's hard to get that angle, that 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 110 degrees between trunk and thigh, for one thing. Okay, the other thing is it doesn't have armrests. But the thing I do like about the yoga balls is it does incorporate movement. So it has some good points. It has some points that I'm not too happy. So. If I had to make a judgment call, I'm not in favor of of yoga balls. Yeah, you mentioned there about a chair having an armrest. One of the first things I think when when lockdown started uh, this time last year, we at home started working from our kitchen table, and Mm -hmm. I was just sitting on a normal wooden chair. And within, I would say, about six hours, between my arse, my back, my shoulders, my (laughs) arms. Everything was in agony. And the following day, I went and bought a proper office chair. Um, would you encourage people to, to go out and buy a, a proper chair? Or is it just that I wasn't sitting properly on the kitchen chair? Yeah, yeah, I would recommend, you, according to your budget, I would, that is, it, it's a great investment for your body. And, and you, you should definitely have an armrest. I'm in complete favor of having an armrest. Uh, um, I see, all too often, I see armrests, they're either too high or too low or too wide for the person which can lead to, as you found out, shoulder discomfort and sometimes mm-hmm. neck. So you want to position your armrest so you're able to sit with your arms comfortably resting by your side. So the problem is people are reaching forward. You want your arms rested by your torso with your elbows bent at 90 degrees. Now, another thing about armrest, another point is that you want to get that, you want your armrest just slightly higher than your table. Higher than your table? Yeah, maybe a half inch to an inch higher. Okay, why? Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you don't want to develop wrist problems. So, oh, this is so, the other moan that I have as well. While we're going yeah. into the moans, let's just go through them all. <laughs> that is another moan that I have. So I have yeah. my external keyboard, which I got because I didn't want to yeah. be stretching to reach the, the, all the rest. I was doing everything right. But you do get that fatigue in, in your wrists after a while as if you've been, you know, in a strongman competition and you're kind of been holding teeny tiny weights over your desk. Like, is that something, should you get one of those little cushion things that you put beside your, your keyboard to try and give you a bit of elevation? Well, you could, you can, you could simply get that. Like, first of all, what I always recommend is get your seat right first. You okay. want to get the sitting right first. And then you want to build a table based on the seat height. So, so, uh, so if your armrests are right, it should, be, it should work fine for you. But I have a question for you. Then think about this. Next time you grab your mouse, does it cause you pain? Or could it be better, generally speaking? Uh, maybe, you know, you haven't even given that much thought, okay? Uh, but this, if you don't get the mouse right, if, for example, a lot of people have a mouse that's too small. I, I always recommend go with a larger size mouse. Uh, and, and here's what you need to do. You want, again, you want to keep your elbows relaxed by your side at 90 degrees and p- position your mouse directly in front of your mouse and shoulder. Okay. 
Now, oh, there's a caveat here too. It, there's a difference between male and female. Uh-huh. Okay, so so if if you're you guys do, since I'm talking to a male and female, you hold your arm straight out in front of you. You notice the male arm would be a little straighter than uh, I mean a little bit more bent. What they call coxedog, a little bit more V-shaped. And so when you flip that over to the inside, men should their their hand their mousing hand should be slightly more towards the midline where females should be a little straighter. I'm not quite at the right angle to see here, Lawrence. We are doing it. We're like two uh, mummies like um, <laughs> coming out of the pyramids, but uh, I'll take your so word for it. No cameras in I here. feel you guys. I feel you. <laughs> okay, so so there are differences and, and the setup is uh, very much important. You mentioned your YouTube channel there. Um, where can people find more and, and get some of these uh, amazing tips? Yeah, thank you. It, 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 the company is called The Spinery, and we I, I think there's about 100 different videos on how to sit, how to sleep, how to... And we give some a lot of uncommon advice, a lot of things, because I've been like hands-on for about 30 years working with people and trying to figure out. My, my, my goal always with anybody who comes into us is to get them to higher ground and get them, you know, the, the car goes off the road, we want to get back on the road and keep it there, uh, make ourselves redundant. And so and most problems that I see are simple, straightforward problems. These little simple changes you can make will have a profound and massive effect in the long term. Well, I have loved this conversation. I'm going to go now and just rechange like every single aspect of my home office and my uh, actual office. Uh, Dr. Lawrence Woods, the biomechanics specialist and chiropractor, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. That's all we have for this week. If you have any questions or comments, you can email FOW at Newstalk.com and we'll answer as many as we can with our expert guests each week. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on the Newstalk app, on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's available as a podcast first every Wednesday afternoon or on the radio on Newstalk every Saturday from 7. We'll chat to you next week. Future of Work on Newstalk with thanks to VHI Healthcare. Read our expert report on social interaction in an ever-changing workplace at newstalk.com forward slash VHI Healthcare.